Hello, this is H.D. Chambers with A-Leaf ISD, and you're listening to Impact Ed, a podcast from the A-Leaf Independent School District, hopefully covering topics uh, related to many things educational, not just education, but things that relate to education and, and quite frankly, um, depend on education. And so uh, today... Uh, we have two gentlemen from the Greater Houston Partnership, and I'll let you, I'll let them explain more about what the what the GHP is and, and its and its mission. But I've got two gentlemen. I got Peter Beard and uh, Mr. Bob Harvey with uh, the GHP, and today we're going to have a conversation about um, all issues related to the workforce in the Greater Houston area. And there's not a single person that lives in the Greater Houston area uh, that isn't impacted in some way by the economy. And the, and the Greater Houston Partnership has a lot to do with that. So, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pose some topics, and we're going we're gonna visit. Uh, but it's been a um, it's been the last several years, I guess, Peter and Bob, that that we've gotten to know each other uh, through obviously the the relationship that our school systems have, not just a leaf, but all of our school systems around the Houston area with you guys. Uh, but also a a kind of a newfound a newfound importance for having a relationship with the school districts from, from the work, from the workforce's perspective. So uh, with that, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Bob, if you don't mind, maybe introduce yourself uh, just a little bit quick history, who you are and how how you got here. And we'll do the same thing with Peter. Then we'll just kind of get started into the, into the conversation. So again, I appreciate you guys coming out here. Well, thanks HD. It's great to be out here with you. Nice seeing you. Uh, Again, this is Bob Harvey. I'm Bob Harvey. I'm the president of the greater Houston partnership, as you said, HD, the Greater Houston Partnership, for those of you who do not know it, it's the principal business organization in Greater Houston. We, we cover an 11-county area. And though we work for and on behalf of the business community, our issues pretty well run the gamut. We define ourselves as making Houston greater. Right. So it's, it's a very broad agenda. We have, of late, narrowed the agenda to three things. The economy, which you would expect us to be concerned about. Uh, creating a great quality of life in Houston because that's what keeps talent here and that's what attracts talent here. And then the third area is opportunity for all, which is a sweeping area where we tend to pick up a lot of education and workforce issues, which under the aspiration that every young person in Houston should have an opportunity to succeed. So we operate through a host, host of committees and a lot of volunteers. And as you said, HD, we work with the major school districts in the region, as well as the universities and others uh, around this topic of education and workforce. How many, how many members approximately do you need? Well, we have 1,050, just over 1,000 members. But those 1,000 members constitute one-fifth of the region's employment. So pretty well all the big-name employers you would think of, right. the law firms, the big banks, the universities, the med centers. So it's a, it's a broad cross-section. Also a lot of small business. I always tr- tend to make it sound like it's all big business, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of small to medium businesses as well. But a good cross-section uh, that comes together. Kind of like a, the Greater Houston's Chamber of Commerce? Well, we were that. that? And until 30 years ago this year, we were the Greater Houston Chamber of Commerce, and we merged with the Economic oh, Development that. Council and the World Trade Council. Three groups came together 30 years ago and uh, and really became a powerhouse. We're, we're seen around the country as uh, one of the more influential business bodies of any major metro in the country. Well, I would attest to that in the state of Texas as well. Peter, uh, Peter Beard. Hey, H.D., how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, sir. So I'm Peter Beard. I oversee regional workforce development here for the Greater Houston Partnership and specifically in the initiative called Upskill Houston. And Upskill Houston was really created by the business community to address two big gaps that the community faces. One is what we would say is a people gap that businesses can't find the skilled people they need to fill their roles. 
and then the skills gap that many people don't have the skills they need to be successful in the 21st century. And so we're trying to kind of marry the two and you know close those gaps uh, on behalf of both the individuals that need the skills and the jobs and the businesses that require the workers to be productive and competitive. And we have a very specific focus uh, in on the types of careers and occupations that require education and skills beyond a high school diploma but less than a four-year college degree. And we can get into kind of the two big challenges that we're trying to address. Uh, and one of them is the awareness challenge uh, that comes with everyone believing that a four-year college degree is the only pathway to success. Well, Maybe I could jump off Peter's comment. Mm -hmm. um, I arrived at the partnership six and a half years ago. And I went around and did what new CEOs do. I talked to as many of my members as I could. And it was striking to me at that time, this was late 2012, how the consistent message from the major employers was we lack a skilled workforce in Houston. We don't see the number of qualified people. And virtually everyone I spoke with said that is our number one issue in Houston. That's what's going to impede our progress and growth as a community. So it was, a, it was a bit of an eye-opener at the partnership. We had not spent a lot of time thinking about it. That led to months of conversation, work, task force work, before we attracted Peter from Washington to come and, and really organize a program around that and make right. something happen. So, so do you think, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but do you think when six and a half, seven years ago when you started posing, introducing yourself and that's one of the consistent messages you heard, did that workforce shortage just begin developing then or do you had it been in place for a long time and no one had really talked about it. You know, it, it had been growing. Clearly, it had been growing, but there wasn't even a, vo a vocabulary for that discussion to, yeah, to any great yeah. extent. And I think most of us would say we were so focused on, enamored with the four-year baccalaureate degree right. that all conversation seemed to emanate from that single aspiration. So it really, it wasn't until the, I'd say the, um, around that period, but the discussion in this legislature about recognizing that there were alternative paths that we should develop in Texas. So, so all that came together, as you'll recall, HD, about, mm -hmm. that, about that same time. Yeah, it, it was around 2012, 13 is when the, the K-12 community started talking about it because we started hearing from the workforce. And that, I just know that was the, at least in my career, that was the first time I'd actually heard the workforce get really engaged in a conversation and it wasn't it wasn't as much a, an engaging conversation it was them saying hey we need some help i'd like to continue this conversation it always surprises people when you start talking about higher ed and what the different definitions of higher ed are particularly in the workforce you know the the, the business community they don't they they just look at your skills and your credentials and can you do what your credential says you can do. Has that is is this notion of not needing a four year degree for some of the more meaningful careers out there, Peter? Has that is that a new phenomenon? Is that is that something, or is that just something that we're now beginning to recognize, both across industry sectors as well as the in the education community? I mean, I think you know the businesses have always relied on that skill area that doesn't require that four year degree. Yet at the same time, I think they were using the four-year baccalaureate degree as an indicator of persistence yeah. as opposed to do they actually have the skills. And so I think you know, when you begin to think about how it came together, it really was the technical skills and what I'm going to say are the basic foundational skills to be successful in any kind of career were missing both at the sub-baccalaureate level as well as the baccalaureate level. And so I think – you know, part of it was we need folks with technical skills, but we also need problem solving, communications, time management, you know, teamwork, et cetera. And I think, you know, if you listen to 
you know, some of the surveys that are out there, you know, Gallup surveys employers across the board and, you know, they're satisfied with what's coming out of the educational system at about a 25 percent level. Yeah. Uh, whereas educators think they're producing what business leave needs at a, probably an 85, 90 percent level. And so there's a big gap in terms of what employers believe they're getting and what educators think they're delivering. So I think, you know, it's all interlinked to that. But I think to the point, you know, Bob has been talking about is, you know, the Houston regional economy supports what I would say are four kinds of job categories. They're the essential essential economy jobs that are the kinds of jobs that don't necessarily require anything more than a high school diploma. Mm -hmm. There are what I would say are the technician jobs, which are really the kinds of occupations like construction and others where it's much more work-based learning. And when you think about what it takes to become an electrical, you know, journey, you know, journeyman electrician, you know, that's four to five years of work experience and education, which is the equivalent of a college degree. Yep. And, you know, they're the technologists. So the process operators and the petrochemical plants, a number of the technicians within, you know, the medical center all require, you know, some sort of post-secondary degree, but not necessarily a four-year degree. And then, you know, obviously Houston requires, you know, the richness of, you know, baccalaureate, master's, PhDs, in, you know, at the higher end, advanced level degrees in order to have the kind of economy that we have. And so we have to be delivering that kind of workforce to the employers if we're going to continue to be globally competitive as a region. Yeah, you know, put some quantification behind some of that. I'll simplify it a little bit. You know, we had almost framed the world in terms of skilled and unskilled, and skilled mm -hmm. came to mean baccalaureate degree. Yep. And then everything else was unskilled. And we didn't spend much time on unskilled, yeah. what the jobs were, what the requirements were, what the pay was, anything of the sort. You, you can go back to when Thomas Jefferson wrote the Jeffersonian Papers. He called, he called the education system, the first American education system, he wanted it to do one thing, divide the doers from the thinkers. Well, that's that carried over for yes, sir. For how, how many years was that? We're still, we're still <laughs> well, I'm not going to do math in public, but <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's a yeah. long time. Yeah. So when we came along and started talking about this, we just realized there was this large group of jobs, and I'll say 35 to 40 percent. People have different estimates, but mm -hmm. something like that right. in Houston, where that you do have to have training beyond high school. Absolutely, you have to have skills that one normally, at least in the old days, didn't pick up in high school. Now you may have an opportunity in high school, but the old days you didn't pick up. Uh, so you have to have that, but you certainly don't need that baccalaureate degree. In fact, some of the baccalaureate degrees that people were getting had almost no relevance in the workplace. So we really set out to say, what is this area? And I still call it middle skills. I think Peter's probably got, has a better term for it. But this broad swath of careers mm -hmm. that are very promising. They're truly careers. They offer potential growth, in initial compensation, and long-term compensation. What is this middle tier, and what's, what, what's required? What do, you, what do you need to have to get into that field? So... Peter, if, if, there's a lot of different demographics that listen to this to this podcast, and and I would and some of them are kids. There's a lot of kids that listen to them, listen to it. Uh, but if in, in, if you're living in the Houston area and you're sitting out there listening to something like this, and you're wondering, well, how do I take advantage of this this opportunity that seems to be out there? What are things that, from GHP's perspective or from Upskill's perspective, are there other? Is there advice that that you guys have? Is there things that you would suggest from training to the? Where do we see the greatest demand for the greatest need for 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 uh, employees? So, I mean, I think there are a couple ways to look at it. One is when you think about the occupations and careers we're talking about, you don't see them every day, and I think I suspect you, as you know, a superintendent, when you ask 
your students what they you know are thinking about becoming those are the careers people see every day doctors nurses right. you know entertainers sports figures etc you know and so you know part of it is how do we help expose students and parents and educators to the you know the broad swath of opportunities that exist that no one ever sees you know when we talk about healthcare it's obvious that there are you know folks that you know, are patient-facing and work with patients. But when you think about what it takes for all that to take place in terms of the lab techs and the folks that have to, you know, file the bills so that insurance gets paid, you know, there's a whole, you know, set of employees that exist in careers that are absolutely wonderful careers that people can get into. And when you think about, you know, construction, you know, you can think about residential, but then when you think about what it takes to build commercial buildings or some of the large industrial plants, those are some of you know very advanced pieces of you know buildings that require a fair amount of technology and a fair amount of you know skill in order to build and you know so those are the things and so part of it is how do we support career awareness and exploration going back to this point you know we have found that we have pretty much convinced everyone that the four year path is the only path to success and you know we can share examples of you know, our petrochemical manufacturing industry, you know, is critical to a lot of the things that we use every day. The plastics, the plastic jugs, you know, hair gel, et cetera, right. you know, they help produce the basic things. Yet those plants, you know, are like working at NASA in terms of if you're a process operator. And if you go to a community college and get a process technology degree, you can start at seventy or $80,000 and in three years be well over 100000 in terms of you know, the opportunities mm-hmm. there. And it's challenging because you've got to be problem solving. You have to work in teams. You know, and so there are a lot of different things. And I think a big piece of it is how do we support career awareness and career exploration? And, you know, and one of the things that, as you know, we've been trying to do is kind of how do we change that awareness? And in a, with a region as big and complex as Houston is and geographically large, how do you expose students from the west side to the careers on the east side? And how do you, exp- you know, expose all you know, everyone to the various different things that exist in the space. And so, you know, we're working on how do we get workers to tell the story so we can share them digitally and by video so that people can be and understand here are the kinds of careers that are kind of what drive and power Houston's economy. And they are great opportunities. And these are the pathways they took. You know, the other thing would be I wouldn't, you know, discount the importance of healthcare, which is, you know, in many respects, you know, an industry that is population-based and so yeah. is with a population as big as Houston is and, you know, with a Texas medical center, you know, the largest medical center in the world, there's huge opportunity in healthcare. And then, you know, just we're still the energy capital of the world and there are opportunities there. And then obviously our port, which is a critically important part of our infrastructure in terms of exporting, you know, all the good things that get made here, right. you know, to the rest of the world. And so there are huge opportunities. And for people to understand what constitutes our regional economy or any regional economy is the starting point. And then what are the careers that are actually exciting and oppor- have opportunities there? HD, of course, I'd always encourage a young person to do well in school. Sure. You know, making all A's never hurt you. Right. But, uh, right. but my real message in this context is begin thinking about what you want to do and what you want to be early. And, and, and there's all these opportunities, as Peter was saying, in Houston. And, you know, beginning in middle school, if young people would start thinking about what turns me on, what kind of a work environment would I would, where would I most enjoy working, and then start to try to understand what the opportunities are in Houston. It's, not, it's never too early, really, to start thinking about that. And then certainly in high school, 
you know, begin thinking about what you know where what career are you going to make a make a commitment to? Yeah, and that's that's one of the messages that 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 we've tried to convey is uh, you know no no one is asking a twelve or a thirteen year old to declare their their lifelong career, right? I mean, but and I and I tell people this all the time that are not in education that twelve or thirteen year old or fourteen year old does have an opinion. It's just they've never been asked. You know, we've had such a strict prescriptive education system for so long that you just kind of went to the classes we told you to go to and and you're going to like it. Well, now over the last five, six, seven years, you start, we started asking kids, what do you like? And in many cases, they go, oh, I never really thought about that. Yeah. They're beginning to think about it now. Yeah. And do they like to work with their hands? Do, yeah, they, like, do, right. they, do they like to work in an outdoor environment? Do they like a, a scientific setting or a setting with a lot of computer screens? I mean, right. what's, how do, what do they picture when they think about the, at least their near-term future? Right. And, and, go ahead. And, and the other piece I would add to Bob's point is, you know, get work experience. And it doesn't even have to be in the space that where your passion is. But what employers actually care about is you can show up every day and have the discipline of work and other things. And so there's a critical threshold for a lot of employers. And so just getting a good summer job is a critically important piece of this. And then think about the skills that they're developing, whether it's in the Boy Scouts or in sports, in terms of leadership, showing up on time. Those are all critical skills as well. Yeah, I've heard a long time ago that HR person with, I think it was one of the major oil and gas companies, says we hire people for what they know. We fire them for how they behave. Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of... Oh, those basic work skills, yeah, work just, patterns, yeah, exactly. behavior patterns. When, when, and a lot of times we as adults kind of mention soft skills or those skills and we don't really pay attention. Well, these kids don't know what we're talking about. I mean, we have to talk to them about persistence and and grit and showing up every day and being able to pass a drug test at any given time and all the things that get you run off. You you could be qualified and you can know the, the business, but you get, you lose your job because of how you, how you act, how yep. you behave. And those skills are actually becoming more and more important, you know, from kind of being able to understand quantitative reasoning and right. communicating, you know, working in the discipline of teams are all part of what employers are really beginning to say, we need more of that. And we can actually, you know, help people develop their skills if they have those bases. Mm -hmm. and, and that becomes critically important. So thinking about those things becomes very important from an employer's perspective. You know, there's one other key decision point, at least one other, which is that point in what tenth, eleventh, twelfth grade when you're deciding: do I pursue that four-year degree or do I pursue a different path? And again, part of our message is that at least, at least think about your aptitudes and your interests, and ask yourself whether that four-year program is really what you want to do and what you're best suited for. Yep. And that's not to discourage anyone, but it's to ask. You know, ask yourself that question and realize that there are great alternatives. And the other trend that's showing up is, in many cases, the jobs that will exist five years from now don't even exist today. Mm -hmm. And with technology disrupting our economy at an accelerating pace, more and more employers are probably going to think much more in chunks rather than, I need someone who sat through four years of college. There's certainly going to need folks at a conceptual level to have a lot of those pieces. But a lot of the other activities are probably going to be learned, you know, mm -hmm. on the job and based upon your skills and experience. I mean, you hear a lot of the firms and, you know, kind of the Google right. and other areas where they're not – they really don't care whether you show up with four-year degrees. They, they're going to test you on your skills. Absolutely. I mean, I think the K-12 system is attempting to adjust to this. You know, you're in a building right now that that is trying to cater to the student, Bob, that you're describing who's really not sure – you know, I'm I'm not sure. Or 
had made a determination a long time ago, or the schools had determined that he or she wasn't going to fit this mold of a of a high school graduate in Texas and going to a four year university, and and that that's beginning to shift. It's slowly beginning to shift, but asking asking uh, you know our students to to identify what is it you're interested in, and then being able to provide them a real life experience or facility in the setting that they can actually actually have that experience. It's kind of where I think most of K-12 is going right now. And the taxpayers of A-Leaf paid for this facility. Uh, other taxpayers and other school districts have done the same or are getting ready to do the same. And it's my hope that from the workforce's perspective that some of these, these uh, experiences that high school-age students are getting in some cases fill the void perhaps of, of not getting it once they get out of high school. They've already made a decision. I'm going to go into this area. And once they get into that area, Maybe they make enough money that they're able to, to go back to college if that's what they choose to do. But on this notion of K-12, and I'd like to kind of steer the kind of what you've said so far in your experience in working in the not just the greater Houston area, but you in D.C. and you in previous previous positions, Bob, have you seen the K-12 system adjusting? Maybe not as rapidly as the workforce would want, but have you seen it adjusting? Have you seen a, a change in not just policy, but a change in attitude and I think so. It's, uh, the, I would say there's been no great resistance that I've seen within the educator community. I think they had a sense of this mm-hmm. even before we kind of made it a bigger issue. Uh, we helped them champion what they were already seeing as a need. Like you said, this facility. We just didn't have facilities like this a few years ago. But the educators didn't resist this, but I think they welcomed it mm-hmm. once they realized that there was a public sentiment out there that they could tap into to do something like this. Uh, but there, there are some impediments within the school system. Many of the teachers themselves don't have a great deal of experience out in these different career fields. So right. they all can describe their college experience. They can't necessarily describe these other pathways. So that creates an impediment. As you know, HD, we don't have the number of counselors in schools right. that w- one would like to have to be talking about all these career fields. So I do think coming back to this facility, having this ability to expose kids to quite a few different opportunities in a setting which clearly signals uh, these are wonderful, interesting, challenging right. fields. Uh, these are not second class at all. This, everything about this facility says, no, these are first class opportunities yeah. for first class people who simply want to pursue a different path. And I think one of the pieces a facility like this and part of the education conversation and what the Greater Houston Partnership has been trying to do is how do we work with employers to remind them that they are the ultimate user of the education system in the sense that they provide the job and the career at the end of the day. And that if they want a different result, they actually have to partner differently. And so to have a wonderful facility like this only goes so far without the business engagement yep. and partnership that's critical. Because when you think about it, the you know employers have three pieces of information that educators want. How many of what kinds of positions? What are the skills and competencies that are ne- necessary for that? And where do I get my best people? And though, you know, that becomes an important part of a conversation and where I think the, you know, the partnership really has focused, how do we get employers and the business community and industries to partner more effectively, differently with the school districts, with the community colleges, with higher ed to help us create a different result? Because at the end of the day, you know, the folks that are in our education system are aspiring to, I think, one good thing, which is they want a good job. 
Yeah. However they define it. It could be I want to work in the public sector or I want to be a research person. But at the end of the day, that you know, the role of education is, is broad-based, but it really is helping individuals fulfill the one piece that they actually care about, which is a really good job and a good job for their kids. Do, do, you, see, do you see the workforce making that adjustment? Yeah, I think so. When Bob brought me here to Houston, you know, the exciting piece of it was that it was going to be business-led mm-hmm. because they have to assume the responsibility. And I think what we have spent time doing is building that you know, collaboration with the business community to then partner more effectively with education providers, community-based organizations, higher ed, and the public workforce system to create a better system. And Lord knows there's a lot more we could be doing, but I think we have a strong foundation that has reminded the business community that they need to partner differently. And I know, you know, that it happens at all levels, not only from the workforce, but a belief that the educate that they have a critical role to work with the education community. Yeah, I think, H.G., you'll remember when we first brought that group together, again, five or six years ago, there was a fair bit of suspicion mm-hmm. or nervousness, right? The business people didn't, didn't under, understand the education system at all. And they had been in the habit of just saying how dissatisfied they were without really articulating what their needs were or how they could help. And the teachers and the educators were kind of tired of being beat upon. And uh, so the first thing we had to do was establish that this was going to be a productive dialogue. We really are in this together. No one no one is, is criticizing each other. We're, we both have to be part of the solution. And that began a dialogue that has carried forward to today. And of course, we brought the community colleges in as well, because there's yep. a piece, there's a clear role for them in all this. And, and you're referring to Upskill Houston. Yeah. And, and those listening may not be familiar with, with it. I don't know if you want to spend just a couple of seconds. The formal gathering that you're referring to is a is is an organization that Peter oversees for the GHP. Maybe just a little bit about the Upskill Houston. So Upskill Houston really, you know, is an initiative of the Greater Houston Partnership that really tries to address that gap, that people gap that businesses face and the skills gap that individuals face. And how do we partner with, you know, at a collective level with all the school districts, the community-based organizations, the community colleges to help deliver that pipeline? And it goes back to what I was just saying, which is, we think it has to be employer-led and therefore start with employers coming together who want to work together to actually create a better pipeline of talent into their industries and into their employers. And you know, we've been fortunate that business leadership has distinguished you know, Upskill Houston kind of at a national level. You know, and whether you know, Houston was you know, fortunate that it started five years ago uh, before we have you know, the current issues we have in our mm-hmm. economy today related mm-hmm. to, you know, lo- much lower unemployment and trying to bring people off the sidelines into work. And the other thing we, you know, we're looking at is how do we change the perception and awareness? It goes going back to our earlier conversation. Mm-hmm. And once again, business and industry has a critical role to play in that because they know what's required and can help bring employees to talk, tell their stories and help people understand here are the competencies and credentials. So supporting you know, the activities of career awareness and career exploration that happen in a school district. And then, you know, how do you create a more seamless experience to connect into the kind of education and skills development that needs to happen to then to the front door of the employer? So we're really trying to think about how do we make that system much more efficient and much more effective in terms of delivering a result for the individual as well as for the business. At the end of the day, you know, I think the partnership created Upskill Houston to ensure that we can con- continue to b- compete 
at a global level and ensure that our businesses can be productive, but at the same time to ensure our residents share in the prosperity of our region. And really, you know, it's about how are we getting people good jobs. Well, in those very early days of upskill, we focused on a couple of sectors. Uh, Petrochemical, because what's happening on the east side of Harris County is just remarkable. The amount of investment that's taking place and the workforce that's needed. And as Peter, as you said, those are largely but not entirely what they prefer are these associate degrees where you're really going into a very complex technology mm-hmm. setting and they like both the, the skills and frankly the maturity yep. before you enter that big plant. We also did construction, industrial and commercial construction because th- those are not as oriented towards community college and associate degrees. They're more about credentials, gaining skills and then entering the workforce and then gaining additional skills and kind of an apprenticeship or a, a formal training model. We've now added a couple more sectors, the healthcare field, which of course in Houston is critical to our economy, and now transportation as a fourth. And so we'll continue to bring other industry sectors to the table uh, as we can. There are other needs in Houston besides just those four, but we've had to be measured in our approach. I find it fascinating in American, the American education system that ultimately the product that the K-12 and the higher ed system is developing is a, is a product for the economy. Right. I mean, that that's kind of that's it. I mean, there's, you know, either either the economy or the armed services to protect our country. And if you're not filling in one, one of those two spaces, I'm not sure where you're where you're filling in. And and so I find it um, I find it fa- not fascinating. I find it very refreshing as being a part of the upskill group and, 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 and then what GHP had a little vision or foresight to see that this was a critical issue is having the business community lead the conversation instead of a bunch of educators. And I, I appreciate being asked my opinion. And as you two know, I don't have a problem sharing my opinion. <laughs> that's right. But I know that's just an opinion. The people that matter at the end of this conversation, at the end of this process, are those that are in the field. And and there's, you know, J.D. Schlatter, just, he, I took him to an event in Austin several months ago and it was being run by the tri-agency, by the Workforce Commission, by higher ed and TEA. And about midway through it, he said something that was, to the, to, the, to the organizers of this, that was brilliant. And it was, you guys as educators, with all due respect, don't need to be hosting this. We need to be hosting this. The, the businesses need to be talking about what, we, what y'all need to do. You don't need to be telling us what you're doing, because what you're doing in many cases has little to do with what I need. And... So this conversation about the workforce leading the discussion is absolutely critical and not only leading the discussion, but also using their 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 influence and their ability and their money and resources and all those things uh, to make sure that what they need, there are no inhibitors from a policy perspective. So um, that's a long winded, long winded question, but I'm interested. Do you see business beginning to step up? Because I will tell you this, as an educator, I still see hesitancy on the business side to get involved. Would yeah, you agree I think, with that? Or yeah, what, I think they you? are getting more and more involved. I mean, we're having a discussion in Texas around public school finance that we probably couldn't have had two or two or three sessions ago. Part of that is because the business community is involved. Yep. Uh, we've had them now at the table consistently talking about skills. Uh, they're interfa- inter- interacting with the higher ed establishment more. I think they're they're getting both more comfortable stepping in. They're yeah. seeing ways to step in. But frankly, the the need to step in is now uh, not debatable. Yeah, I totally agree. Because I think at the end of the day, in the world we're moving into, is a global war on talent. And the only way a region like Texas, or only 
way a region like Houston and the state of Texas are going to compete is by having the best talent that anyone would ever want. And, you know, business and industry needs to be investing in that workforce and that talent pipeline in order to maintain that competitiveness. And what JD was basically saying is I as an employer, I as a business need productive people. Otherwise, I can't have a successful business. And therefore, we're at a point where we actually need to compete differently and we need to invest in you know, the greatest asset this region has is its people. And we need to invest very differently in them in order to create the result to ensure that you know, this war on talent, and it's, it's a war that everyone can win. It's not a, a win-lose. Yeah, right. It's a war that everybody can win, but we have to invest differently, and it's really going to take the business community, in many respects, to take the leadership and help lead. And you know, when you think about you know, what it's taken to get this far, you know, part of it is how do we have a more meaningful common language that people can actually communicate with, mm-hmm. and then how do we work together differently and build the trust and the relationships? And I think we've done a lot of that over the last five years in terms of the work that's been going on, but it's work that has to kind of continue going forward. There's a there's a, a, a lot to be done, <laughs> a lot to be done, uh, both on on the education side and on the on the workforce side, but we don't uh, we don't have the luxury of time, do we? I mean, I, I want to. I hate to bring this up, but I think it. Uh, you know, the whole Amazon decision. I mean, thanks, thanks HD. I no one has mentioned that to me now in several months. I and, know. You, and you bring it I'm up. I want to bring it up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but but it it was a. I mean, if there was an indictment on anything, it was an indictment on the education systems and what we've been focusing on for a long time. Well, specifically around digital, around, I'll just right. say around digital, right. and that's you know such a huge part of the economy that's emerging, and I don't downplay that at all. I think Houston has got to get into this digital game at all skill levels, whether yeah. it's the data scientist at one end or the person coding at another. This evolution, this extraordinarily rapid evolution towards a digital economy, Houston will either position itself to play or it won't, and it's all it's going to be about talent. It's going yeah. to be about can we transform our education system to be producing this digital talent? And Amazon, frankly, judged that we were deficient. And that was a – I said it was a wake-up call. The mayor said it was a wake-up call. I think, you know, I think it, 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 did, it did generate some interest and some action uh, that Houston uh, needed. Right. Well, it, it may have been a wake-up call, but I, I, I think most in the education community would have said, tell us something we didn't know. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, I, I had Scott McClellan on earlier uh, in, in an episode earlier, and he were, we were talking about um, the digital, the digital opportunities and the digital digital courses that are out there, and people like Google and others are just dying for more computer science, not necessarily majors, but they mm-hmm. just want students who have a computer science experience who can also, by the way, work in a group of people and communicate and all those things, and and. And in Texas right now, I don't know that we have maybe 150, maybe 200 certified computer science teachers. No kidding. Across the state. Across the state of Texas. So there's other ways to teach that, but that's just one one kind of marker that says we is not only as a region, but as a state, we're not even close to, to addressing the, the, the whole Amazon reason for not considering Houston. I was talking to a good friend at the Harvard Business School, and he said if he could wave his magic wand to do one thing to prepare the workforce of the future is he would teach six years of informatics in school. So what's that? 
I mean, it's basically understanding kind of technology. It's not just coding, but it's understanding, you know, how technology is showing up. And, you know, it's kind of like quantitative reasoning. Yeah. It's not having a specialty, but understanding the role technology plays as well as, you know, how it's being used so that you could then, you know, understand coding is an important part of this and understand other pieces. And so, you know, when you think about how quickly you know, technology is disrupting jobs and disrupting businesses. Building that future workforce needs to have a basis of understanding technology, not just whether it's network administration or cybersecurity. It's it's showing up everywhere. When you think about, you know, your lab downstairs for automotive technicians, there are three million lines of code in a car. Yeah. That's I mean, if you don't understand that and plug it in and understand how you do diagnostic with technology – then you know, you'll never be able to fix a car. Three million lines of code, and for those who don't know what coding, that's just programming, right? Yeah. I mean, that is unbelievable. Just to, and ever, and you've got millions and millions of those vehicles on the road every day. I find it curious. I, I was a part of a leadership group real quickly, and I got to tour a GM plant in Michigan. It was a year and a half ago, two years ago, and walked into the assembly plants where they made um, one of the SUVs for, for General Motors, and... I didn't see a human being for like 30 minutes, but I saw robotic arms and all that. And it wasn't until I went into a room, it looked like a call center, hundreds and hundreds of people sitting at desks with monitors and every one of them monitoring some part of that assembly line, but they weren't on the floor. They were doing exactly what you're, what you're talking about. You know, and someone's got to install all those instruments and maintain those instruments. Yeah. So, you know, in this, you know, middle skill space, there are instrumentation techs and analyzer techs that are critically important to the installation and the diagnostic of, you know, those instruments. And those become, you know, like those are really gold collar jobs if you, you know, follow kind of the language that's like out there that. right now. I like that. Gold collar jobs. <laughs> I like that. The education challenge for this region and this state are immense, right? And it starts at birth. Mm-hmm. We've, HD, you and I have spent a lot of time thinking about early childhood education, pre-K, yep. third grade literacy. I mean, we, we can't just address issues at the high school age. We have to begin earlier and, and a huge effort underway to see if we can kind of increase the visibility yep. and importance of literacy in third grade. And uh, Good point. steps all along the way. But uh, we face a, just a major issue in, an issue in Texas. How do we, how do we fund a system how do we ensure that we get the outcomes from a system, that system being the education system, and how do we produce ultimately graduates who find their niche in life, have the skills to be successful, have discovered what uh, the joy of work can be when you find that thing that you really you really love? It's a, it's a major challenge, and, and I think the business community is at least attuned to it in a way that it hasn't been in many years. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the whole early childhood. I think most people who most people who deal with EDCs, you know, economic development corporations or chamber of commerce, they don't expect to hear business people talking about pre-K, early childhood literacy. And for those listening to this, I will give tremendous credit to the to Bob and to others with the GHP about they're recognizing that you can't just have a conversation in vacuum about a high school age kid preparing for the workforce because in order to get that high school student there, it takes a whole lot of work between two years old and and fifteen sixteen years old. And and the effort that the GHP has been a part of, along with a lot of others across this, this region with Early Matters and now Good Reason Houston, that to me as an educator and as a citizen of this city who plans on being here for quite a while, that's what gives me optimism. It's what gives me hope that this challenge and these impediments that you're referring to, which are real, 
they're they're real. But I feel like we have everyone now singing out of the proverbial same hymnal for the most part. Yeah. You remember how it felt on the floor of the legislature two or three sessions ago talking about early childhood and half of the members of the legislature were just shaking their heads. Yep. I remember hearing the statement, those kids, their kids. Yep. I mean, it was just a remarkable, disappointing view. That has changed so much now. People yep. understand the importance of getting kids off to the right start, uh, setting the stage for success in education. And last week, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the president and CEO, gave his State of American Business speech, and he called out early childhood as a critical piece to the build, you know, the foundation for those kinds of skills. And so, to your point, HD, you know, business does get it, mm-hmm. and it takes champions like you know the Greater Houston Partnership and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to be saying, you know, you can't just deal with it at one end of the pipeline. You've got to start at the beginning as well, and you know. Hopefully, the two can come together in the middle and actually build a very strong pipeline that supports that. That's, I think that's everyone's intent. That's everyone's goal is just to do that. Uh, before we wrap up, um, is there kind of where do, you, where do you see, put on your prognosticator hat for a second, and I know there's all, once a year there's always a kind of a, someone stands up and gives a, a view of the economy, a view of the way they see the world, fully knowing that, we're, we're one decision away from <laughs> something impacting that. But kind of where do you see the Houston economy? Other, th- other than this issue of the challenge of the workforce, which you spend a lot of time on, are you bullish? Are you bearish? Are you cautiously optimistic? Kind of where, where, do, you, uh, where do you see us going? And Well, I, I think, HD, I think most prognosticators locally and around the country would say Houston is in a very good position. It is a very strong economy. We add employment at an incredible rate here. We're an opportunity city. People mm-hmm. come to Houston every day because of the opportunity that our economy generates. Schools know that. School, bring, oh, they, that's right. They They're, bring their kids That's with right. Them. They show up and at your doorstep. Yep. So uh, that's the positive view, and that's, that's, that's totally fair. Mm-hmm. But I do think the economy and the world are changing at such a rapid clip that the real test of Houston is how we manage through this transition, whether it's the digital transition, uh, this world we've entered into now where it's not clear what the role of international trade will be. We've got issues arising that are very central to our economy. The role of the energy industry, which is critical to Houston, how is that going to evolve into a, yeah. into a what we call the new energy world, the renewables world and what have you. So I do think Houston is facing some challenges and uh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, be sanguine. We, we, this, this is going to be a challenge for Houston to evolve from a very industrial uh, city in terms of energy and heavy industry, petrochem, into a digital economy, mm-hmm. which is the world of the future. I'm going to go with what Bob said. <laughs> no, but I do. But I do think you know, from one perspective, which is you know, the progno- prognostication from the point of view I think about the workforce and education is, I do think we need to provide work experience earlier and earlier, so people are in a setting where they're you know, learning conceptually and applying mm-hmm. realistically. And so I think, you know, whether it's the P Tech or you know internships, apprenticeships, co-ops, we've got to move much more into providing those kinds of experiences because that's where employers are probably going to go is I'm going to rent before I fully buy. And, you know, those kinds of programs and those kinds of partnerships with educational institutions become critically important to build that workforce. The other thing I see, HD, is a recognition that equity matters. 
It's not just the average anymore. People want to know how were different populations treated by the education system? What were their outcomes? And the day that you can just put forward your, your mean score and think that anyone's listening to the mean score, they want to hear how did various groups, how did your low-income kids do? How did your ethnic kids do? You know, how did the kids in this zip code or this census, census tract do versus the kids in that census tract? So that's going to force all of us to think about how, how is our education system benefiting everyone not just the most advanced. It's probably a great point to end on. The Texas system accountability assessment over the last 25 or 30 years has done, um, it's done that. It has shined a light on some extremely, extremely poor practices that we had before then, which was doing exactly what you described, Um, taking care of those who were doing okay and then trying to hide the ones who were not. And, And in many cases, not all, but in many cases, the ones that weren't were our typically our socioeconomically deprived children, our English language learners, our Hispanics, our African-Americans, that has changed. That has changed. Not to say that we're there, not to change, not to say that those gaps haven't been closed, but to, to Steve Kleinberg, which we all three of us have heard him say a thousand times, that is the population that we have to, to make sure is prepared to meet the economy you just described. ALEAF, I mean, we're 85 percent economically disadvantaged students with 45 percent not speaking English language. I got 90 languages spoken in this district. But I can't afford, I don't have the luxury of saying, well, I can educate these and I can't, there's nothing I can do about these. Not only is that immoral and just violates every principle of education, but it does harm to the economy. You, you narrow your workforce base and the opportunity. So from that perspective, the business community, the GHPs of the world, the, the A-Leafs of the world, we don't, we don't have any, we don't have any uh, choice. We have to get it right. And so I'm glad to be in an area that has individuals like you two guys in, in, in charge, as well as others, Scott McClellan and many, many others that are fighting the same, this same fight. It, uh, it makes it getting up and coming to work much easier knowing that we've got allies. Well, uh, HD, I'll say I really appreciate your involvement with what we've been doing from the very beginning. You've been active across the entire Houston region. You're active in Austin. I think you're part of a group of education leaders that are part of this transformation of education. So thank you for what you're doing. Absolutely. I think we're all we're all we're all in this. So uh, you have just listened to Bob Harvey and Peter Beard with the Greater Houston Partnership talk about the economy uh, as it relates to the education field, as well as what they're seeing in the greater Houston area and across the state of Texas. Um, you've been listening to Impact Ed. I'm H.D. Chambers. Please join us on our next episode where we will have Neil Bush the chairman of the board for the Barbara Bush Literacy Foundation. He will join us, and I'm sure we'll talk about his mom and his, and his dad, but we're going to talk about early childhood literacy to, this, to the point Bob made earlier about, about making sure our little ones are prepared to, to take on the tasks of the, the next 25 to 30 years in our economy. So with that, this has been Impact Ed. Thank you for joining us. 